0: y'all this is She Buys It with Whitney Nasley. Yay! Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the She Buys It podcast. I have an expert real estate investor with us today. Y'all are going to love this beautiful Kentucky woman, Sharon Vern... Vor- there, I'm going to butcher your name. I can say Louisville, right, but I'm going to butcher... Bornholt. Born Bornholt. We do say all those letters. We were just laughing because she's from Louisville, Kentucky, and I can say that because I'm a Tennessean and we just leave out letters, but (laughs) all of the letters of her name are pronounced. So Karen (laughs) is here with us and she is a real estate coach and she was gracious enough to have me on her podcast a hot minute ago, but we're still back together and we're gonna be talking all about getting those first deals done. We're gonna be talking about the things that she's noticed in the market and in the meetups and everywhere. And y'all are gonna learn so so much from this amazing woman with all these years of experience, and I can't wait to dig into this. <laughs> yay! Well, yay! I'm glad to be here, Whitney. It's exciting. Yay! Fantastic. So go ahead and tell us what is your podcast name. What do you focus on, so that if people are here and they want to follow up with you, how are they gonna find you?
1: Well, it's Let's Talk Real Estate Investing, but you can find everything, links off to everything over my blog, The Louisville Gals Real Estate Blog. So I have the podcast linked off of there. You know, it's, it's available on iTunes, Stitch, all the normal places you find podcasts. But, um, you know, in the beginning, I just really did, I was, it was all about any business, you know, just wholesaling, and I still do that, talk about all the different strategies, but I have three main areas of focus now. One is probate investing. I've been doing that for more than a decade. So I love probates because the people always want to, they always need to sell the house. But I learned over the years that um, marketing and branding, if you don't get those two things right, you're just going to, you're going to be dead in the water. So marketing is how you get leads, but branding is why they choose you. And you do a phenomenal job of branding because you're just Whitney. You're, you're just pink and you're Whitney. So, but you know, some people and, and, you know, myself included, it was a little bit harder to go, okay, what, you know, what's my brand? And it's not just about colors and fonts. It's about who you are, your values, what, you, you know, uh, we always say it's what people say about you when you go out of the room you know it's how you make people feel so I try to help people that have you know are in business um, I certainly t- I teach probates all the time but in the process teach you how to build your brand so that your marketing works better you know because not everybody's as as out there as as you are I mean you just kind of low out there but you know not everybody's as extroverted as you are so some people have to actually really think about this
0: i think i used to be more extroverted yesterday i went to get my hair done and it was a new lady and mm-hmm. she had lots of questions for me about what i do and how i do it and i was exhausted by the time <laughs> i left because you know you and i we could talk for days about real estate and nerding out and all that stuff but i found that when i I get around people that aren't already ready to be ready. in real estate. Mm-hmm. I'm exhausted by the end of it. I think I'm becoming introverted, if that's Mm-mm. a possibility.
1: Yeah, I do think uh, it's it's a thing, and it's a thing when you. Um, I think when you're a coach, I think you you find yourself just wanting to go. Okay, where's where's a corner? Sometimes Where, where's the <laughs> out, where's the, you know, I need to get out of here and like regroup for five
0: five, five seconds. <laughs> and it also helps we you mentioned coaching Mm -hmm. when people already have kind of a basis Mm -hmm. and you know when you make a probate course because you have a probate course right yes when i made first still done fast i made it because i was saying all the same things to all the same people so i just wanted to record it so that everybody could have that and then i could focus on the strategy
1: the real
0: marketing and branding the real negotiations i just want to have all that out like haven't y'all listened to the podcast or the YouTube channel? Like, let's get on with the other stuff now, let's do this. And I know that's all important, but it can also be done at your own time. It can be,
1: yeah. And it's, it's, it is inevitably where everybody, um, that's how they end up with courses and coaching. Because I've had a blog since 2010 And just today, I had somebody sending me all these questions, and I had to say, look, I'm getting ready to get on a podcast, go over to the blog, and in the search bar, put in probate, because I can't teach you my course today, because I can't, I have other things. But you inevitably end up there, because yeah, you you get the core stuff down, like a course, and then you want to teach people how to go forth and build a business. Yes. So that's where... People don't understand it when you do this, but you understand it, I know, but that's, you can help more people this way.
0: And you honestly get fried to death if you don't make this switch. Absolutely. And I, I made the switch about two years ago and I love it. But I one thing it. that I've never really tackled is probates. I mm-hmm. understand probates and I've done a handful of them, but I'm certainly not a special mm-hmm. specialist. Mm-hmm give me the breakdown because if somebody's brand new and coming into this, what is probate? Why should they focus on it? And, you know, how do they get started? I mean, going to your blog, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But tell me, tell me more about probate and what that word means. Well, probate is when uh, there's an estate, someone
1: passes away and they have an estate and people that are have property are almost always going to go through probate unless they've done some estate planning to skip around the process because here's how it works. Someone passes away and then the probe now, this is the short version. Mind you, there are things that happen in there, but the- oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so someone passes away, the estate is opened. And then one of two things happens. Either there's a will that's called test date. And that's where you or I choose our, Trusted person to administer our last wishes. Like, I want this person to have this and this to have this, and here's how I want my estate divided up. Now, some people don't have a will, and that's called intestate. And what happens in that case is the court appoints someone, and it will generally, there's generally, you know how things go like husband, wife, spouse, child, and there's a family tree, in other words. So, in general, they would go down the next in line unless that person for some reason weren't suitable, but they appoint that person. That person is the administrator. Together, they're jointly referred to as the personal representative, but they have the duties and the legal responsibilities to watch over that those assets, that money. They can't use that as their bank account. So then once that estate is open, then guess what? We can buy the house in almost every state. Now, if you're in California, we love you, but we're sorry for you because you have you have to get fair market appraisals and all this crazy stuff, and they never look at the fact that you or the house is worth hundred fifty thousand, but you have fifty thousand worth of work. Nope, it's worth one fifty. No, actually, it's not. But so then, this is what I want people to really get. People have to sell the house, they have to liquidate the estate. So guess what? Sadly, you will never run out of leads never ever all go away. foreclosures come and go up and down um you know at ab, ab, estate absentee owners all those other niches all those other ways of getting deals every single month guess what there's a new group of people that sadly they you know they pass away so what happens then is the is the, the assets are liquidated and the house is the big asset in most cases So the house has to be sold and in in Kentucky and Tennessee, just like a regular sale. You just go write the darn contract, shoot it over to your closing attorney. I learned the hard way because my process used to be like if I bought an absentee owner, I would get that contract. I just kind of wait till I bought. uh, I found a buyer, which was usually if I don't have a buyer like. In five minutes, I'm getting worried. So I, I, then I would send both contracts over. Well, I don't do that with probates. As soon as I get the buy contract, I send it over. And you know, you don't have to know a bunch of legal stuff because you're, you're a closing attorney. They're gonna go, hold up, they've skipped three steps. So you don't have to worry about any of that. But um, you don't have to be a legal expert, but you do need to be able to know the terminology, the process. So once they sell the assets, then the next step is the creditors are paid. So any mortgages, credit cards, um, any debt is paid, and then the heirs get what's left. So remember that up here, somebody passed away and the heirs are down here that are going to inherit. They don't get a dime until all this other stuff is done. So that's
0: their motivation. But and that it- could also include like the nursing home or the- yes. Uh, health bills or any other liens that maybe mom didn't tell you she had yeah uh, elderly people are
1: big on getting HELOCs and late in life so you might buy a house where it's got a it's got a good roof a good windows and it has orange shag carpet and um, metal cabinets just look at one of those a while back metal cabinets from what it was that the 50s or something it was like the outside's a brick ranch and you walk in and you go whoa <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I walked into a different decade <laughs> oh, yeah orange shade carpet so um but yeah so um, these people and the thing to remember about probates is they have lives they have children they they've got to settle the business of this probate on top of everything else so when they have a house that's a distressed property they are motivated very motivated
0: I have been through this on the selling side. My papa passed in 11 and he had a trust, he had a wheel, he had all those things set up. But I know that you know my mom and uncle had to become the trustee and they had to set up this old other business and they, they had no idea what they were doing because they've been running businesses since they were children. Yeah. But not this kind of business. And there was laws and there was hoops and there was jumps and they had to set up different bank accounts. And I can only imagine how overwhelming it is for people who aren't used to running a business to suddenly have a business plop down in their life and their lap. And they just don't want to deal with it. Just somebody take this away. They don't want to deal
1: with it. And I I tell people, and this is the honest goodness truth. I've gotten more hugs at probate closings than, than any other type of closing because these people, they've lost someone in many cases that's really close to them. They're grieving. They've got to sell this estate. And you mentioned that it is the business of the estate. They have to get an EIN number for the estate. So they've not only, you know, as far as uh, people say, I don't get the whole tax timeline I said, well, you don't need to understand this. And I'm not a CPA, but just know that they have to file a federal tax return on the estate and on this, the deceased person's taxes. So yeah, that's, in a way, it's you need to know that because that gives you another marker for a timeline for them. It's but, expensive to die. It's expensive to die. It is, and your attorney's going to get a cut of that estate. And every time that I've had a problem is when the family tries to do the, do it themselves. They get a step out of order, like they forget to notify the heirs. There's, there's, I did really to give you the short version, but that's how it works. But there's little things going on behind the scenes, uh, processes. So um, for that reason, I learned with one of my first probate deals that took five months because normally it's just like a regular closing. It's over in two weeks or three weeks or whatever, because you're always selling to an investor. You know, it's always an investor to an investor sale. So, but this one took five months and I had to keep going back, getting an extension on my contract because I was fairly, well, I'd been investing 10 or 11 years, but probates were new to me. So after that deal, I learned to put this one clause in my contract in it, where you would normally say, a closing will be like I might write no sooner than seven days and no longer than however many days, 21, 30, whatever your timeline is. I added this phrase afterwards, closing will be no sooner than seven days, no longer than 30 days upon court attorney approval. That gives you an open-ended contract if they muck up the settling of the estate then you have a contract five yep. months later. so but you have to put that you have to know to put that in there and i learned that when the hard way and i tell people don't don't do what i did because i didn't know any better and
0: now you know better i had to learn a lot of things the hard way <laughs> and that's what i also share is yeah. don't do it this way i yeah. went broke trying to get rich doing it that way yeah, yeah. Don't, don't do that They'll say, but I like that way. No, have you made any money? No, stop it. (laughs) it. I agree 100%. I do a lot of owner financing. When I speak with elderly people or in people in generations ahead of me, or you know, however you want to say it, I let them know that when I buy the house, I'm buying it for what it's worth and they're going to be able to pass that monthly payment on. Right. And a lot of people like that sense of security that. Some people have children that would snort a bunch of money up their nose or buy a bunch of TVs or cars or something. And they know they're just not responsible enough to inherit $100,000 or a 10 house portfolio or whatever. But when I can set it up on payments and they know they're going to get a drip and they know that that payment will cover their house payment. And they know that it's not that we're skipping anything, but that it's already lined up when they pass. And that gives them a lot of security, mm-hmm. and yeah. they can also decide to pass it straight to their grandchildren and skip their children. children. Yeah, so that's another way that it,
1: when you're dealing with elderly people, that's a, that's a great strategy because once they pass away, seller financing's off the table because they have to liquidate everything. So uh, another thing to, for people to know is when they're looking at these leads and, and getting the leads is by far the, the hardest point part in most places because I do not encourage people to buy leads because they are rarely really good leads. So we'll just, we'll just leave it there <clears throat> for probates. Um, but they, um, they had, they just have this awesome opportunity to, to help somebody. And you know, if they're in a nursing home, don't skip those leads. Uh, when you're working probates, you'll see, um, the address of the deceased come up and the fact that they went a nursing home does not mean they did not have a property sitting around
0: somewhere. So you have to get to be a little bit of a, a detective. I know I went to the City County building and I was gonna get into probates and I sat in those stacks of files and folders for like an hour and a half and I got some leads but then I felt like I was just chasing my tail and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll be honest that was more of a dig than I wanted to do. So I will give you a huge round of applause for being willing to do that detective work. And well,
1: here's the thing: there's there's over 3,300 counties in the U.S., and every single one of them is different. A lot of them are online now. In Louisville, Kentucky, I thought we were really far behind, but they're published in the newspaper once a month. You do you can go into go into your online records and. Some places like uh, like they've tacked the probate onto the end of wills. So if you pull in your online records and look at uh, wills and uh, like that, like for last month, then you might be able to get them that way. If uh, I had a student in Texas and he said, I don't know where to start. I said, well, let's Google it. And sure they were. Harris County, Texas is all online. If you're in Chicago, you can get them right off, like in a hot minute online. So. Some places you have to go to courthouses, some places like, I think Nashville's all online now. So. uh,
0: One thing that helped me was to establish those relationships before it got to that point so that the family called me and said, hey, we're in probate. Mm -hmm. And that that has worked for me because my county is not online yet. Um, yet. We barely have internet, no kidding. Okay. So you've mentioned a lot of things and I want to go back and really clarify these before we get too far gone. Okay, You said that uh, a lot of people aren't doing their estate planning or setting up their wills or their trust or whatever. Do you know what percentage of Americans have planned their estate for their passing? I don't know,
1: but I will tell you this, when the probates come out here and I had someone that went through them manually in the newspaper and it was a day's job you know to go through those it, there was a surprisingly astonishing number of people with expensive houses that did not do a, estate planning and as a real estate investor we really can't do too much with a half a million dollar house and you know I mean you know you're just what are you going to do with it so we're we're still always looking for that middle of the road bread and butter house but it, it was just astounding to me that people that did not have estate
0: planning, it was, it was crazy. And I know none of us want to talk about it, but it's going to happen to all of us. I have a will. I'm 34 years old. My brother is my real estate investing partner. He always has been. I spent his life savings the same summer I spent my life savings. So whether he wanted to or not, he was in. He was in. But we both have life insurance. We both have a will. Mm-hmm. We both have the paperwork set up because we travel a lot we have a lot of fun we do a lot of things and we both ride in cars every single day and it's risky to live and we're Mm -hmm. all gonna die i mean those are facts so please 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 y'all get your paperwork in order whether you think you have a big portfolio and it's worth it or not if you have people that you know and love it is worth it to already have this stuff set Mm -hmm. up yeah
1: if you have a house or children or both or any assets you should have a will, because think about this. If you don't appoint your person, you know, if your brother is your person or whoever it is, the court's gonna pick somebody. And that is often a scary thought that it could be the crazy sister or the, you know, it could be somebody that is not going to handle your estate in the way you want it to be
0: handled. So don't, and especially if you have children. I don't have any children yet, maybe one day in the future, but I don't right now so my stuff is set up to go to my brother and or his heirs but Mm -hmm. i could easily set it up to go to my church or to go to a dog rescue or something else that i care about or it could go to one of my friends or my accountant or my attorney or somebody but we hear about this stuff going crazy and wrong all the time get your paperwork in order and you don't have to worry about it going to the wrong well, person. <laughs> another
1: thing, I, it might go to the state too if you don't have things set up. Let's well, say you don't have children, your parents are deceased, and God forbid your brother's gone. Guess who's going to get it? Probably you're probably the state. Yeah,
0: that's that's awful. That's just wrong. <laughs> that that is a wasted life, <laughs> and yes. I, nobody wants that. We want to leave legacies. Yes, we do. Okay, when you were talking about testate and intestate, those were words that I learned in 2011 when i was getting my real estate license do you have a real estate license i do not
1: i do not it just uh, at the time i started investing way back in um so i opened one a business i had a home inspection business for 17 years and opened that in 1991 and then i started i, a, I didn't even know there was such a thing as real estate investing to tell you the truth um, but I met a lot of realtors through the other business. And one of the realtors I met said, hey, you want to go to a real meeting? It's long about 1998. And I said, what's a REA meeting? She said, oh, trust me, you're going to like it. And I went in there and there were, Whitney, there were three or four hundred people in the room. And I went, holy moly, you don't have to be a realtor to do this. And so I invested part-time for about 10, 10 years. I and love then, that aha moment. Yes, it was like, Oh, my God. I mean, I never missed a meeting for decades. And I was just like this giant sponge. And uh, then around 2008, before the crash, you know, you could see it coming. So I'm in a business, the home inspection business, which by the way, don't don't, don't get in that business. Talk <laughs> about a business where you flat out. Um, that business relies on retail transactions where we could all see the writing on the wall. So that was the time it gave me permission to close that business. But 2008, guess what else happened? You, same thing. Nobody could get a retail loan. So um, I had a little plan. So I would, that was a very demanding business. So I would rehab a couple of houses and then buy a rental. Rehab a couple. But it was it was slow because I, the, I, the other business took a lot of my time. But I look up in 2008. Now, if you can believe this, I had never, ever wholesaled a house in in uh 2008 and all of a sudden it's like oh my gosh I got this house under contract but if i rehab this house now mind you the other businesses shut down i'm at zero zero income so um except for my couple little rental houses which was not uh anything so i said well i got to do something i think maybe what's that word? i'll just wholesale this house so i called up um, i called up because i had 10 years of contacts right so i called up my friend i said you're in my house well yeah and i i thought boy that was easy i just made 10 or twelve thousand dollars with a i drove there once made a phone call from the porch and he (laughs) said do you want to do you want this he said yeah let me come look at it tonight and then when he's there he calls me from the porch and says I'll take it. I said, would you mind getting my lockbox and bringing it to (laughs) closing? So (laughs) so that was another aha moment that sometimes I only made one trip to the property because, you know, probates are either always vacant or there's stuff in there. And I worked like if I'm working with Whitney, I know Whitney's not going to back up her moving truck and take the stuff out. So but
0: um, I might was, back up a dumpster and hire somebody, somebody to take <laughs> this
1: stuff out. <laughs> but it was like an aha moment. And that's when I became an accidental wholesaler in 2008. And because I was really good at generating leads because I was uh, from the BI generation, the before the internet and in the other business, I knew how to network and uh, i do all a direct mail. I'd done direct mail for years. So it was a natural segue
0: into, into doing that. I love that accidental wholesaling. And I, I love that you started learning about real estate investing in 98. Mm -hmm. And so for 10 years, you're Mm -hmm. working a different business and building your rental portfolio. And then you accidentally started wholesaling. And I'll tell you that kind of phone call on the porch. I had Jennifer Hillegas on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and she calls herself a one hour girl. She yeah. will get it under contract and sell it in less than an hour, just because she knows how to network and she knows who wants what and she knows how to negotiate. And that is exactly what we're yeah. going for here is $10,000 an hour. <laughs> yeah. And so it really, people go, oh, I got to do this.
1: Bank giant buyers list. And I go, no, you need maybe four to six. You know, for, somewhere there, you need a landlord or two. And I had one that I knew exactly what he bought. And he was my actual, I'm going to write check buyer. Then I had a four or five rehabbers. The, I, the same half a dozen people bought all my deals all those years. And that is the truth. Other than an outlier property that I learned not to buy, where I would have to actually do some actual real marketing for it. But that's the truth. If you know where your buyers buy and you know, what they're looking for you can call them from the porch and you can you leave the lockbox on I, and that's the other thing i do in my contracts is i'm not dealing with lived-in houses most of the time i put a, I get permission that day i'll say you know i call them and uh, can i put a lockbox on there and i put it in my contract so there's never anything seller gives buyer permission to put a lockbox on so, and I'm only sending out people that I trust. I'm not putting it out there like, you know, this whole daisy chain deal that's going on and all that. So they really do go out look at the house, call me from the porch. And it's like, yeah, I'm, and I, I'm very business-like in that I get, if it's my, if it's my mother I, I, or my sister, I would get, get a thousand, I would get a, a deposit from them because I just say, look, it's a business, it's a business procedure. If I, if I would know you, it wouldn't be a thousand dollars, but they all know, they just say, yeah, I'll mail you a check and it's, it really is that
0: simple. You're always training people. And whether it is your mother or your sister or a contractor or a vendor or whoever, you are always training people. And if you set up, this is what happens. This is my system. This is how it flows. Then nobody says, well, can you do it this way for me? Just this once? No. I on how I conduct business right. and is it. You're playing my game or go get your own leads. I don't care. Yeah, yeah one way or the other. So yeah,
1: and it, really it's, people tend to make it too hard. I tell people if they, if you learn how to generate leads, you know how to build a brand and then you can talk to, talk to sellers and go at it with, how can I solve your problem? But it's got to be a win for me too. I'm not shy about t- telling people, you know, this is, this house is going to be a lot of work. I'm going to make money on it at the end you have the choice you can put
0: the money in the uh you can do it but and they then, go no i don't want to do that the truth always wins the you're gonna put a lockbox box on it the seller needs to know that you're gonna sell it to somebody else the seller right. needs to know that you're gonna make money and hallelujah we all need to make money and want to make money right and if you don't know like if you don't know for sure if you're
1: going to keep it as a rental or you're going to wholesale it or whatever be up front with the seller You know, I don't know specifically what I'm going to do with this property. I hold some. I pass. I don't say wholesale. I say I pass some on to other investors when I get too many or it doesn't fit my portfolio. If you're honest and you can't, you're, you're right, you cannot go wrong being honest with people. Now, don't ever say words like I'm going to wholesale it for money and all this. And that's the reason I personally double close. I don't want to have those conversations at closing when I, if I'm wholesaling a house, yeah, I'll pony up. It costs me about $350, $400 to double close. That's
0: it. Well, I tell people that you need to use small words with these sellers. They did not sign up for a real estate conference. They're not listening to my podcast or your podcast or any YouTube channel so that they can be real estate investors. So when you say that I'm going to pass this on to other investors, That's something they can understand. They can understand. When you say, I'm going to wholesale this deal over to somebody else, they go, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't don't know.
1: I don't understand it. So you got to, you right. You got to use small words. They shut down. You have to use their language. You have to be sure they understand. And uh, really, you just kind of, that's the way you just do. You just talk. I tell people it's a conversation. You know, it is a negotiation, but it is a conversation that at the very end of it, everybody should get something out of it that
0: is they're happy about and that's how you establish relationships and that's Mm -hmm. why i think women are the best investors because Mm -hmm. we're after that relationship and we all make money and we all win and then they send us other leads they send us their friends because they know who we are they know what to expect from us Mm -hmm. and we naturally Take care of people. And I say it all the time that the truth always wins and there's no secrets in real estate. If you double close, that's cool. But in 30 days, everybody's going to know what happened. Everybody's going to know what happened. It's just,
1: you know, and there have been times when I've assigned small deals, you know, it wasn't worth the double close. Um, it, it is a little bit more difficult conversation. I'd, I'd rather not have it. But if I, if I have to have it, I'm okay having it. It's just, it's a model that works for me and it's not the only model. Now I have students up in New Jersey if they double close, it's going to cost them six or $8,000. I tell them, don't do that. No way. You're going to have to learn to get your words right with the seller. It's all about the words. And get the words right. And again, you can say, I'm probably going to pass this on to one of my partners. Um, you know, whatever. And I was lucky. My On the few occasions that I've done uh, assignments, and I can count on one hand the few I've done, my attorney will, will cut my check outside of closing, so my buyer will come in and close on the original contract, and then my attorney, who's also an investor, that's the key thing. Don't work with a closing attorney that's not an investor, ever.
0: You also mentioned earlier that you use a closing attorney on every deal, and I get a lot of flack because I do lease options and owner financing. I've done like 72 of them. I could write my own contracts, but I choose to send everything through my attorney yes. Why is that? People ask me all the time, why don't you just start writing it yourself? Well, I'm not an attorney. We're
1: not an attorney and you don't want to hear about it later. We're all about simple and we're all about the truth. We're all about doing it right. And I write in my contract, I've had problems with other, even real estate closing attorneys where they just muck up the deal. And so I put in my contract, my closing will be at borders and borders at this address. And when people say, well, I like this attorney, I say, I've already had the title work done for the first part and we're going to, Over there because a I know it's going to be right, I know they're legal eagles, and I'm not going to have any problems over there. And if there were ever a problem, they would 100% make it right. So, we're going to do this the easy way and the safe way for all of us. But, no, I
0: I completely agree. Does it cost you a few bucks? Yeah, but we're not attorneys. We are not not. attorneys, and every bit of money I make, I'm either going to pay taxes on it, I'm going to get people to help me, and that way I get a lot of mine back sometimes. Yeah, I I know. I'll say, all right, I got this one back. I'm going to sell it again. He'll say, well, what happened? I say, well, they moved out in the middle of the night. And he says, okay. Or I've had four evictions Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and three of them have been at the same house. And so my attorney thinks it's hilarious now that I'm like, "Uh, I'm selling this house again, or I sold this house again. And he's like, seriously? I'm like, just send me a bill, dude. It doesn't matter to you. Fix it. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's me. Just, I don't want to hear about it. Just... Go do it and tell me how
1: much it costs. And... And this
0: is so simple for him too, though, because he can trust that I'm not out just doing whatever I want to do. I'm right. running everything through him so that it's all up and up. It's all backed. And I can call and say, hey, they haven't sent me rent. Start the eviction paperwork. And that's all I have to do because I don't want to get down in all of what happens there. He's already, no. he's already specialized in it. Yeah. I'm just going to write him a check and he can go deal with it. I got other right. things. We're we're busy ruling the world. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I want to talk about, you had an inspection company, which is probably not like ruled by
1: women. Oh, no, I very definitely entered a man's world
0: for sure. So I think there's a lot of women and a lot of women listen to this podcast and probably yours too. Who are kind of on the outskirts of real estate. Maybe they, maybe their dad had an inspection company and now they're gonna inherit that and they're working in that man's world. Maybe they're working at the title company under the attorney, or they're a paralegal, or they're, you know, somehow on the outskirts, or you know, maybe they're the property manager, but somehow they're they're on the outskirts. They're not a real estate agent, they're not exactly an investor yet. Mm -hmm. but they're thinking about it. So what do you tell those women who are on the outskirts? Well, I
1: think, I think you need to get educated. I mean, you can certainly do blogs, podcasts, and I'm a big proponent of saying, go to these shows that are, if you're a woman, listen to these women because we have a little bit different perspective on the way things are in what has always been a man's world. And I like to tell people, see, I came way before you and I, I like to tell people I made it in spite of the roadblocks. You know, I just kind of, put your tunnel vision on, carve your your own way, don't be concerned with being left out because that happens a lot. But, um, you know, I was very much, you know, ignorance really is bliss because I was clueless when I got that business. And I was the lowly owner. I did not ever crawl under a house, but um, I, we went through all the trainings because it's a very litigious business. You know, you gotta know what you're doing. But it was funny because we'd go to four uh, like uh, meetings and it would be two male inspectors and me on a panel and they would go, tell me about marketing, Mark. And this one they'd go, well, some question had nothing to do with the house. And they'd go, well, Sharon, tell us about water leakage around the crickets on chimneys. And I'd go, okay. And then I just spit it out, but it was like a very much shoot the home inspector panel, shoot the one in the middle
0: with the blonde hair panel, you know, it was crazy. And you did it in spite of it. Now tell me, if you're on a panel and there's one woman, how many women were gonna be in the audience to hear that? Way less than
1: men, way less than men. Uh, My area is pretty big, it has, um, on average now, 250, 300 people. And you can probably count on two hands, actual active real estate investors. There are women that have been coming for years and they may have bought a property here and there. Some of them have never bought a property. Uh, I don't know, really know why they're there. But it's, by and large, men.
0: What about in 1998 when you first found these meetings?
1: Oh, same thing. And, you know, the guys here, I, I want to make something clear. They always treated me great. I mean, it was, there was never any of that. And one of them said to me, well, we never treated you any different. We were talking having him in an honest conversation about the challenges of women in real estate investing. And he said, well, we never treated you any differently. And I said, no, that's 100% true. However, the door to the good old boys club was only cracked for the women. It was never op- really open. You all had your secret lunches and your all your little side stuff and I had somebody tell me on a came on my podcast so within the past ten years, well, I'm not telling you my secrets about student housing. And I went, dude, there aren't any secrets. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. You're you're 30, so I don't know what you I
0: don't know what you're talking about, but okay. Well, I gotta tell you that when I started going to RIA, my broker they were having a topic and it was going to be a panel discussion of three property managers and they were all women. And it was kind of a RIA meeting focused on women. And my Mm -hmm. broker knew that I was interested in property management and I was interested in women empowerment, all that stuff. And so she sent me an email, she said, go check out the RIA. And when I got there, there were 50 people in the room Mm -hmm. and three or four women and the president of the RIA came up to me and he was wonderful. And I still count him as one of my main mentors that helped encourage me get into it because he was the one that, he also noticed that I had this knack for property management and leasing and I liked all this stuff and I was like a sponge. Like you said earlier, I just, Mm -hmm. I could not learn enough. And he really said, you need to find out about lease options. And if he'd not told me that, Mm -hmm. he actually made me a little bet too. He said, if you will go to this class that the RIA was putting on, If you don't learn anything, I'll give you your $75 back. And I was like, all right, Um, old man, I'm in. (laughs) Well, that night I put $3,000 on my credit card and I signed up to go whole hog into owner financing and lease options. And I mean, Victor Jernigan taught me a ton about real estate investing unofficially, but because he was the president of the RIA. But in contrast to that, five, six years later, I'm in other RIA meetings and I traveled the country and go to different RIA meetings and I pop in and it's pretty clear, right off the bat that I am one of those women that are making deals and not just hanging out and learning. And I went to a RIA meeting two months ago where there was three women, 20 people. And one of the guys leading it straight up told everybody, and he was a young guy. He was probably under 30 straight up told everybody that he gets his private money lending people from the country club. And I was like, well, that's fine. You know, people at country clubs have money. And then he went on to say that he was in the men's sauna. In the men's sauna. Yeah, he had to point that out. And I was like, all right. So the good old boys club is meeting in the men's sauna. And I am definitely not, not even going to that door crack. And I don't want to be in there, honestly. Yeah, yeah but, that's,
1: <laughs> but that is, you know, it's curious to me. I'm not going to really go into it, but we just had an election at our thing that where they actually came out to prevent the woman who was really in line to be president where she didn't get elected. We'll just we'll just leave it at that. And um, it was it is mind boggling to me that more just more than 20 years later, that it is still basically the same and that is like unacceptable. It's totally unacceptable to me. And so I've been on a mission for a long time and we talked a little bit before the show about seeing the flip over. And in my probate course, I am seeing the flip. I look out there where there was a woman and 10 men, You know that balance has finally changed. And I feel like part of what you're here for and what I'm here for is to empower women and say, the men are the men are great. I've gotten a lot of help from men over the years, but there is still this subtle something that they we're not we're not all in with the men.
0: I mean, it, it's just a fact. And I think I really empower women. First, sold and fast. All my courses, all my stuff, she buys it. I mean, I'm speaking directly to women, and so in first sold and fast, I got 200 plus people and probably 12 of those people are dudes mm-hmm. and it's not because I say no men. It's right. just, because I really focus on helping the women. Cause we speak a different language. We have yeah. different issues and problems. And I know when I started, one of the biggest issues I had is that the sellers would be cool and they'd show me the house and we'd negotiate and we'd talk about the contract. And then when like I went to sign the contract, they were like, well, isn't your husband going to show up now to sign on his side? Yeah, oh
1: you? yeah, really? Or, or if you went with them, like you'd have a man like with you, it's like, that they,
0: they all of a sudden talk to him, talk to him. So, yes, yeah. I don't know. So it's not just in the real estate investing; it was from sellers. I even last summer, my my mom is a landlord, and she's had rental houses. And she's been that female empowerment person in my life. But everybody didn't grow up with a mom who was a lady landlord and who understood all the things. So I feel like, you know, I probably play big sister to a lot of these women because I'm teaching them what my mom taught me and what I have learned out on my own doing these deals. But some of these people, some of these sellers know that my mom is an investor. And Mm -hmm. I was talking with one of my mom's friends who was also an investor and he said to me because i do owner financing and lease options that's what i specialize in my mom doesn't she's just a cash buying old girl mm-hmm. so he said yeah it sounds great if your mom will co-sign with you we'll do that what and i was like dude i've done 72 deals without my mom co-signing on me no, no. thank you no. i told him i said i'm not a kid
1: well, I have to tell you a story. I grew up in a home of entrepreneurs. So my dad was a contractor and my mother, um, you know, she was a homemaker for years and then she, she worked and she had, a, she bought a little business. Of, she had no, um, training in hair, but she bought a little beauty salon that was for sale. And she, she didn't even know the words passive income, but when we were children, um, now, now this was back a long time ago. And when women did not really fly airplanes. So my dad comes home. My dad was 12 years older than my mother. Now there were four kids born in six and a half years. He came home and he said, I've decided I'm gonna learn to fly. And he was so excited. And my mom said, I think that sounds wonderful. So I'll learn to fly too. And he said, well, I'm not sure if we can both do that. And she said, yes, we can. You'll just fly half as much. That was a story, I had to get to be a grown up to really realize what a trailblazer my mother was because you know, she was just my mother because she passed away when I was, you know, 20 some years ago, but it was like that story was still like, oh my gosh, what a trailblazer she was and that's what they did. He flew half as much and they, she was a pilot in her with four little kids and went back when women didn't do that
0: do it to it baby one of my favorite grandmother stories of my mom's mom who was a homemaker and didn't really have a job after she married my papa her grandfather's farm came up for sale and she went to the auction because you talk about people doing deals and doing things that women didn't do before yep. we had the internet. And before right. it was so easy for everybody to do everything. I mean, these women were trailblazers. So she told my papa, she was going to auction he didn't think anything about it. And he was always buying and flipping houses before HGTV was, he was always in and out of deals. He was always buying businesses and things. She went to the auction and came home and said, yeah, well, I bought this and I bought the blender and I bought that <laughs> lamp and I bought this. And then I bought the farm. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> she bought the house and all however many acres, bought the farm. And he said, Okay, okay, okay. And that, I mean, 150 years ago, I think in 1838 or something, I probably just butchered that, but like in the 1800s, Mississippi was the first state that allowed women to own property without a man signing off on it. And y'all, this is not 18, whatever. Yes. yes. And women are still coming up against some challenges Mm -hmm. that should have died a long time ago but long time ago that story sticks out as that's why my mom is so empowered her mom was empowered and my papa empowered her my dad empowers my mom my husband empowers me and it's important to have the men that are going to encourage you and support you and not try to baby you and protect you and my husband and i went through a couple learning lessons on that (laughs) but that's okay that happens stuff happens it's fine but yeah she said and then I bought the farm Mm
1: -hmm. I go 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 grandma do it to it baby yeah I think that's awesome but you know not everybody was that lucky and truthfully I grew up in that environment I thought it was normal I really had to get out and get married myself and go why do these people think this stuff like you can't do this and you can't do this because I was always taught you can do whatever you want to do just was an unwritten rule.
0: And I was always taught that you need to be smart. Yes. And when I started buying houses, I was on Facebook, which we have now. My grandma didn't have that. And I said, I bought a house. And the first response I got from like 15 people they're like, congratulations, where is it? When are you moving? And I was like, moving? (laughs) Why would I move? Yeah. This is like the fourth house I bought this year, y'all. Are you not paying attention? I'm not buying houses. I still I have 13 houses, a trailer and a condo because they're all different, right? I've got 19 apartment units now and I still live in my mom's rental house because I I just don't have the mentality to say, okay, I'm gonna buy a house for me.
1: Well, you might have to do that. It's, it's funny that I know an investor in Chicago that um, is extremely successful. I mean, they have 160 houses for him. Real estate's all about owning rental property. Uh, I mean, the man has nice toys and airplane, because he likes to fly. But he lives in an 800 square foot house, because he, he doesn't care. You know, he likes his, he's, he said, you got to get to the point where you have the passive income to afford the toys. He gets angry when people buy toys and expensive cars. He said, you have to get to the point where you you have earned that and your your assets pay for that. You don't take your money, your money you use for investing. And it's a whole different mindset. But it's funny that you say that, because him, it's like it's somebody, he's bought a condo, somebody's fixing it up for him. I say, well, what's, what's it look like? I don't know, she's just gonna do it. You really don't care, what's wrong with you? Now, I mean, it's like, no, it's just a place I go to bed, you know, I don't care, it's like. Uh,
0: There are thousands of ways to make money in real estate, but I think, especially when you get started, ignore the toys, ignore the filters on Instagram, ignore the photo shoot, ignore all of that. And you invest, invest, invest until you are able to leave your nine to five or sell your business or do something else and then go full-time in real estate. There are thousands of ways to do deals. There are thousands of ways to live and, it's not always going to be what they show on TV. Mm-hmm. And if you will get that out of your mind and you will focus on you, your family, your goals, your sellers, your people, you'll end up in five years in a totally different world.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, you you have to focus on build, building building your business. Don't focus on buying a big house. It's It really is true that mo- the most successful investors that I know, they don't, in, they don't go out and buy a great big house. In fact, a lot of them live in the same house they lived in 20 years ago because their love of houses has nothing to do with where they live. Now, now I do like pretty, I'll admit that, but I'm I'm not a go out and buy a great big house person either. So I don't I've know. Been too.
0: looking at a primary house and i keep messing up because i run the numbers on if i could airbnb or vrbo it or somehow because <laughs> i'm i'm a i'm a gypsy i travel around and i'm not there all the time so if i could rent it one week a month and make that mortgage payment then it's going to be okay and how am i going to stage it like so i go down this horrible rat hole of all these things and you know writing off the furniture and decorating it clean enough and good enough and i just well, need a place to crash let me let me tell you i know somebody with five children
1: who are three of them are in college now that does exactly that. They bought a bigger, bigger house. And periodically, the kids go live at Mammaw's and they go, they go to Florida and they, they rent out their beautiful home. And and I mean, it is totally doable for you to do that. I know that.
0: I've been practicing with one of my houses in my portfolio. I turned it into an Airbnb so that I could learn on something I already had paid off, you know, before I go buy that $500,000 house that does need to be bought as an investment those are i mean not every day like you said earlier we really need those bread and butter houses but if i could get a big fancy house on the lake or the river at a good buy cash flow it you know i would do that you can totally do it because i know a couple
1: people that are doing it and i just go what do you do with the kids you know but they they make so much money on their nice house that it's totally worth the inconvenience, and I want to say six, eight, nine times a year, they're they're out of there, and um, you know you you can make enough money. I know that we have a someone here that did an Airbnb, and I'm going in Louisville, Kentucky, eight thousand dollars a week. You know it's like, and he said yes, I've done. All, it's my closing attorney he says I've done all the numbers. Here's the numbers. They're all up on the wall because we're there for a lots program. to learn on the site. I haven't paid off in six and a half years. And I'm going, okay, case closed. Uh, You know, it's like,
0: I I wish more people would look at their primary like that because I'm trying and I'm in the process of convincing my husband that we need to do that to pay off our primaries because most people I'm in a lot of Facebook groups. And when people say, what is the biggest, What is the biggest headache? What is the biggest struggle? What is the thing that keeps you up at night? Most people are super stressed about making that mortgage payment. If they didn't have a mortgage payment, if they could be creative about, okay, well, somebody else is going to stay in my place a couple different times a year. If they could just be open to that. It's a different
1: way. It's a different way of thinking. You've thought thinking it though, and I've seen it because if somebody can do it with five kids, you can totally do it with a a normal like you have no no children and it's a it's a completely doable thing
0: it's just your mindset are, are you okay with it And you got to be okay with it and mm-hmm. if the house gets paid off in six years then chuck all that furniture go buy fresh <laughs> and just call it good because six years are going to fly by I spent almost five in college
1: yeah Yeah. if you ever come to Louisville I have to take you down there and show, get him to show you this airbnb it's flat out awesome,
0: awesome. I'm in that sounds good to me now I need a trip to Louisville. We were Thank there you. for private money profits and the I Derby. Saw,
1: I saw that. I was gone, you know, and you came at Derby.
0: You know, that's, <laughs> that's a national holiday. Don't plan an event on Derby. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, you know, when I plan my events and I plan my retreats, I try to plan it around something that people want to see. Like last year, we went to Albuquerque for the International Balloon Festival. I don't know why else you would go to Albuquerque, New Mexico, except the Balloon Festival. So I tacked my event onto the front of it because we want to travel, we want to see things, we want to do those, you know, once in a lifetime things. And so I try to tack it onto the front of the Derby. I'm going to try to tack it onto something else so that you can extend your stay and still get the education. Right, right. You mentioned education was important earlier. So what is your advice for women who are getting started? They're trying to get their first deal. They're trying to get into whatever it is. What kind of advice do you have for women getting started? Well, you just have to take the leap, first of all. You, are there are a lot of people
1: that go and they they study, study, study. I'm a huge proponent of education, but I would say you have set a date. I'm going to buy a house by, the, I'm going to make an offer and make offers by this date because your first deal is by far the hardest. So make, make the offers, get your first deal under your belt, and then get engaged in your community, get engaged with, you, you know, the people that women that are strong women that can help you move your business along but don't be afraid to invest in your education it is never going to fail you to invest in your education
0: get and your first do it. deal done fast get
1: and be branding yourself this is my, the one mistake i made early on was i thought you know i only got a couple houses i don't have a brand whatever Day one, start building your online presence, build your brand, even if you're the guy that only, or the gal that only has two houses, get known at your real person as the person who's looking for houses, as the person who will close on a deal. Don't back out on a deal. You know, follow the basic rules of honesty, ethics, and do what you say you're going to do. I
0: agree 100%. Sharon, tell us again how people can get a hold of you. I know you're in the She Buys It group on Facebook, so... You're active in there and hanging out so people can ask you questions probably in there too. And that link is in the description. But how else can people get a hold of you if they're interested in the probate course or anything else you got going on? Well, you can. everything is, is
1: hinged off of my blog, the Louisville Gals Real Estate Blog. But if you want to go straight to the probate course, it's Probate Investing Simplified. And my promise to you is that if you take this course in six weeks, you can go out and show up as the expert. You'll know everything you need to know to to show up as the expert in probates.
0: I love that. Yes. All right, Sharon, this has been awesome. Thank you so, so much for hanging out with us this morning. Don't forget to subscribe and check out Sharon's podcast also. And y'all get out there, get these deals done. Get it done fast. That's right. (laughs) Thank you. All right, bye y'all.